following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. And all the people that are tuned in today because you're out of town or wherever you are, we welcome you. And our people in Tulsa, our church in Tulsa, we thank you for tuning in. What a joy to be in church today, huh? How about it? What a joy. All right, I'm not going to say it, but I never was a cheerleader. Don't know how to do it. But what a joy. I mean, happiness. We had some happiness last night. We had, a, we had a first service that got here. They got here today, and I was so happy. I'm so glad it wasn't raining today. I'm glad it didn't rain last night. Um, I prayed for no rain today, and of course, you know, you can't, you really, I mean, that's just one of those prayers. But I prayed for no rain, and no rain showed up today, and we're happy to see you in the house of God. It's an honor. Now, I made, I made the first service, I didn't make them, I asked them to stand up, and I'm going to ask you all to stand up, and I want you to say three words with me, say, I am awake. I did not stay up too long last night to receive something from God today, because <laughs> I know what happens when Texas wins, some people go nuts. And they, they can't go to sleep. They're, they're just like, they're, they're built. It's just, oh, oh mm, we beat USC. Mm. <laughs> and I know that happens. Because it used to happen to me, and now I can just go to sleep in the third quarter so easy. Because I'm going to read the score in the morning anyhow. I've done lived too long to let it bother me any longer. Turn around to somebody and say, you're better than I am, and uh, don't go to laughing about it. And you may be seated. You're awesome people. I want to introduce somebody here today to you. I want to introduce somebody. Yesterday, I was privileged to do a, a memorial service upstairs. Uh, we, had a, we had a beautiful service here yesterday with uh, Beth Moore. She talked to our ladies, and she was phenomenal. They did a, a, a big old wide uh, state, United States multicast or unicast or what do you call it? Simulcast. And, and she simulcast into here. Our, we have a man in our church that flies her all over the country. And, and uh, I think one day we'll get her real life here because, because uh, we got an inroad there. But, uh, but I, did, I did a funeral yesterday, a, a memorial service for a man named Charles Monahan, And uh, I pastored he and Grace, his wife, for about 10, 11 years here. And it was uh, two of the finest people that I've ever known in my life. They moved to Louisiana because their age caused them to go, need to go home to be with the girls, and they live in Louisiana. But the family's here today, and, and Grace is sitting right here on the second row. Mom, would you stand up, Grace Monahan? She is truly a picture of what her name is. That's Grace right there. I love you. I love you. And yesterday I was privileged. You may be seated, hon. Yesterday I was privileged to be able to talk about her husband, Charles, and what a joy. And the daughters are here. Let's give them a hand. And their families, let's give them a hand. What a joy. So a state policeman pulled a car over and realized there was five little old women in it. 
And uh, he went up and knocked on the window, and he said, Ma'am, I got a problem. She said, Sir, was I going too fast? He said, No, ma'am, you was going too slow. He said, You're doing, I, I clocked you at 19 miles an hour. <laughs> and she said, Really? She said, That's the speed limit. He said, No, ma'am, it's 65. She said, No, there was a sign back there that said 19. He said, Ma'am, that's a, that's a road sign. You're on Highway 19. Oh, so he starts to leave and go back to his car, and he sees all the women sitting in the car, and they've got these expressions on their face like, oh, God, you know, this woman's crazy or whatever. So he comes back, taps on the window, and he said, can I ask why all these other women are acting like they're afraid or they're afraid of this uniform, they're afraid of me? She said, no, we just got off Highway 119. That's funny. <laughs> Little old lady from Pasadena. Go, Granny, go. Joy, week number two. Philippians 4 and 4 is our lead scripture. We're doing a series on joy this whole month, and I trust that the joy of the Lord will be in your life, in your heart this whole month, and next month, and the next month, and the next month, and finish the year with joy in your life. There is no reason why the people of God that know the Lord are not joyous people. Amen? Amen. Philippians says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I want to jump into part two of this series. I love it. I I enjoy talking about joy. I I don't know how many times I've wakened in a bad mood. I don't think it's very many. I love every day. I love every day. I love the days that the Lord has made. And so... I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to be happy in that. But the church should be a joyful place. It really should be. It should be a happy place, a joyful place. Philippians is called a happy book. It's the most joyful book in the Bible, just four short chapters. It's Jesus-centered joy. That's all through the book. And the happiest book was written from a prison cell. Now, that's hard to imagine, a man tied to a praetorian guard, eight hours per shift, three guards on him 24-7. And we probably think Paul might might have been coming off of a great crusade. Maybe he was in a mineral bath or perhaps he was in a green room getting a neck and shoulder rub. But he was in lockdown. He was in a place where he was locked down. Yet he writes a joyful book. He has what is known as the joy genome in his life. He has this certain DNA in him. That anywhere he is, he can just be joyful in his life. And this series is about our joy being restored. It's really a maturity series. It really is. And so we're going to talk about some things in the next few weeks. And today I'm going to chapter 2 to talk about mine. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 is literally translated, the verse I read, I will find joy in Christ. That is my joy. My rejoicing is going to come from the Lord. Last week, Brad opened this up, and he gave a beautiful message last week. Give Pastor Brad a great hand. It was good. And we must not confuse happiness with joy. Happiness comes and goes. It's based on circumstance. But joy comes from Jesus Christ, who never, ever changes. Joy won't just happen to you. You've got to choose it. You've got to choose it. You need to have joy in Christ and then you need to express it because it cannot, once you have it, it cannot be contained. It just kind of flows out of you like lava out of a a mountain. And this is what the world needs is to see a great group of Christians having joy in their life. 
One of the saddest things in the world is to see people walk out of church on Sunday and it looks like that they just heard the worst news ever. I think we ought to leave this place with a smile on our face because the best news ever is in this house. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you on the screen some of the things that bring me joy and I'm going to put my glasses on so I can enjoy them with you. Here's some things that bring me joy. Throw the first one up. Throw the, oh, there she is right there. That's my joy girl right there. Her middle name is Joyce. I just think she's the prettiest thing this side of heaven. She really, really is. And that guy with her, man, he got lucky one day. Now, I want to show you some other things that give me joy. Here, my oldest girl, she survived a, a tragedy in Dallas, and she is such a jewel to me. She's my office manager. I kiss my office manager. We have a thing going. I kiss her. All right. That's her beautiful, wonderful husband. I love him, Damon. I'll show you the second child. This is the picture. Oh, yeah. They had another picture in first service. They changed the pics. That's my Cass, and that's my Brad. Brad's our executive pastor. They bring me joy. Next picture, please. And that's Kate and Jaron. Jaron's got his alligator britches on. Somebody ate the bottom half. <laughs> and uh, he's, 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 uh, he's a wonderful young man. My daughter is just precious. She's amazing. It was her singing today, and uh, these kids give me joy. All three daughters, all three son-in-laws. Now, here's, here's something that really gives me joy. Look at there, seven of them, seven grandkids. If you find seven more handsome kids, come tell me, and I will tell you to learn to tell the truth, okay? <laughs> that would be my line to you. All right, the next thing that brings me joy is an empty email page. That's funny. I don't care who you are. The next thing that brings me joy, <laughs> need I say more? Corey Redding took me to Brenham this week, and we had Bluebell at the Bluebell factory. Right now, I'm doing the Bluebell shuffle. That's amazing. Next, next, next thing that gives me joy, oh, beautiful golf course. Out in California called Pebble Beach. I kind of like that place. Hadn't played it but one time, but I like to see it even on TV. Next thing that gives me joy, Papacitas. <laughs> I'm advertising for them. They don't advertise, but if you find a pastor that don't like to eat, he's not a good pastor. <laughs> Pastors love to eat. Amen. All right, next, next, please, next. Oh, get that off. Get that off of here. Get that off of here. Get that off of here. That made me happy several, several nights ago in 2006, but I'm also kind of happy today. Not, not joyful, but happy. But here's what I want to tell you. I must fight for my joy. Everybody say you got to fight for it. Because in our generation, things are crazier than they've ever been in our life. They really are. Every day, things are changing, moving. Not a lot of settled things in life. On Tuesday, I remembered uh, 9-11, 17 years ago, and I remember where I was and what I was doing the day at church and how that people came all day. And we left the church open until well after midnight that night, and we were baptizing people, and people thought the world was ending and repentance was taking place. And it started me thinking about the things that have taken place lately. It's going to be hard for us to be happy and find happiness in the world that we're living in. Because we still have some, we have, some, we have some things that are lurking in our life, like Korea still lurks, and Russia's always been a biblical problem, and China's not happy at the present. And so those things are happening. Our national debt is massive. I'm just talking. You don't know what to do with the illegals. They're both good ones coming in and bad ones coming in. Everybody has an opinion. That can be depressing. And we have midterm elections coming up, and anyone looking forward to that has got to be crazy because TV will be full of fluff, and, you know, it's all the commercials and the he said and she said arguments and the debates. And, I mean, it's just such a happy time in America. 
such a joyous time. And everybody hates everybody, and they tell everybody how much they hate everybody on social media. And so this is, this is how America responds, okay? Some states, because it's so hard to be happy, they say, you know what? Let's just legalize marijuana. I got a whoop over here. So that's our response to all this craziness. Hope you didn't bring yours in today. So if things are going crazy, let's just smoke marijuana. Take a toke. That's funny, but it's kind of sad. What's sad is it's so hard to be happy. I found something interesting not long ago. Gallup started measuring happiness a few years ago, and they measured the happiest and the non-happiest states in America, 1 to 50. And this came out. The happiest state in America is not Hawaii. It's not Florida. It's not California. It's not even Texas. It's North Dakota. Why are they so happy in North Dakota? I think I had to figure out because nobody wants to move up there. And they got it by themselves. I have no idea why they're happy. I don't even know what's in North Dakota. Except ice and cold and a few buffaloes running around. Some of you are saying, well, where is North Dakota? You need to go to school. So it's up north. But I thought it was interesting that on a scale of 1 to 100, they scored a 70 in happiness. 70. And they're number one. So the happiest state in America is only a C on the test. Don't even talk about the rest of the states. I think it's so interesting because all the measurements on the poll were done with external circumstances like how much money is being made or how much the state has or how healthy people are or how the future looks. It correlates to happiness, and we need something more than that. And Paul addresses that in Philippians chapter 2, and I want to read this, and I'm going to be a little scripture-heavy for a little while here today. He said, Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing with the Spirit or any tenderness and compassion. I want to stop there and say I love Paul's heart. He was a pastor. He had planted that Philippian church, and it was 10 years later that he wrote this letter. And he visited them. He loved them. Now he's writing to them from prison. And his heart was with them, and now, he, now, and now it's echoed to us. And he says, then, verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love. Sixteen times in the book of Philippians, Paul mentions joy. He said, my joy will be complete when you have joy. I love that. My joy will be complete when you have joy. There's not a pastor living that truly loves his people that wants his people to be sad and be heartbroken. My joy will be complete when you have joy in your life. I preach the gospel up here so you'll walk out of here with joy in your hearts and your lives. I preach Jesus-centered gospel because I know Jesus brings joy in your life. And it's an honor to talk about Jesus again today. Come on, we're going to talk about him. Clap your hands and say, I love that. So Paul said, having the same love, being of one spirit and in one purpose. Because he, loves, he loved the people and he was a good pastor, he goes to verse 3 and he turns it now a little bit and he starts sending a little warning. Now, I want you to know that pastors need to warn people from time to time. You need to be careful because there's a few things out there that are joy killers. Everybody say joy killers. You know, you know the world don't want you to have real joy. This joy that I had, the world didn't give it to me. And so in verse 3, he said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's what he was saying. Don't, don't do anything out of that because that's a joy killer. But he said, be humble. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. 
And each of you should not look or should look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. In other words, get your eyes off yourself and start paying attention to people around you. And good pastors do this. They send warnings. We need to receive this. This series is about maturity. And I think with all the things that's buzzing around us and all the people that are looking for happiness, it's a great thing to know you can come to a house of God on Sunday morning and you can walk out of here with true joy inside. Things that just kind of come from the inside out, but not the outside in. Come on. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And it gives you strength to walk through the circumstances of life that want to take away your happiness. You've got to be careful of these things called joy killers. Now, I want you to take notes here. Because I think they live or kind of act themselves out in our generation. I, I want you to put this on your refrigerator. One, one of the chief joy killers is a thing called living to impress. Just to impress. To impress. It's the me, it's the myself, it's the I theorem. The common phrase is, I got to get mine. Show me the money. (laughs) I want mine. That's the attitude we see in our culture. And it's a dangerous place to land. It's just existing to impress. It's like a bulldozer. You've got to push everybody out of the way to take hold of what you want in life. It's called selfish ambition. It's self-promotion. It's the attitude of, come on, I'm the greatest There's nobody like me. i got to get mine. I'm just living to impress other people. And here's the second joy killer. It's kind of like the first, living for the applause. It's living for somebody to say, wow. Lady Gaga even sung about living for the applause. It's this obsessive need for approval. It's the desire that we need someone to say, hey, you're awesome. You're great. And you know what, folks? If you need that every Sunday morning when you come in here, I'm going to tell you folks that. But I'm going to tell it to you from the Lord's perspective. You're great because you have a great God. You're great because he saved you from a miry pit. You're, safe, but you're, you're, you're great because he's an awesome savior to all of us. It's not we're great because we're great. It's we're great because he made us great in the kingdom of God. Anybody want to rejoice in that right now and say hallelujah to that? We have people who have this need to say, you know... I'm having a hard time. I'm struggling. I'm not doing good, but I want you to tell me how good I am. Tell me I'm awesome. I'm not doing well in life. Make me feel better. I'm doing awful. I'm doing awesome. I'm doing awful. I'm doing awesome. I'm doing awful. But at the same time, I want somebody to say, wow, you're the best. You're the man. When I first came to church to pastor here, I had two men that when I preached real good, one would give me a red hot. And the other would give me a dollar. Now, I like the dollar better. But the red hot was a, was a token that you were you was on fire today, Pastor. You really did good. And the dollar, I don't know what it was for, I guess. Can't buy Starbucks with it. <laughs> but I guess it's it just say, hey, you did good. Here's my dollar. And so it was every time, it was almost every time I preached. So I thought, man, I'm pretty good. They like my preaching. Two men do. And the third, third one does too. And, and then one day all of a sudden, I didn't, get, I didn't get a red hot. And the same day, I didn't get the dollar. And I said, oh, we got a church split going on here. And so I said, oh, it's just they forgot. They didn't go by the store. They didn't go by and get change or whatever. And the next Sunday, the next Sunday, and a whole year went by. And I didn't say anything, but I tell you, It hurt. It just hurt. 
And I guess I was living in that to impress or living for the applause. I don't know. But it's kind of, all of a sudden it just stopped. And so finally one day I walked up, I had them both together, said, hey, I loved them. I said, hey, what's the deal? And one of them said, I told you I'd give you a red hot when you preach good. Teasing. He's teasing. Stay with me. I'm, this is funny. And the other one said, I'm broke. And you know what? I hugged them both. I pastored them all the 28 and a half years I've been here. I sent one home to glory this year. And uh, I don't guess I'll ever get another red hot from him. But when I got through preaching in first service today, I had another man come up and he opened up a, some Altoids and there was red hot cinnamons. <laughs> God just knows what we need. But living to impress, living for the applause. And the word of the year a few years ago was, and I'm going to put two words up here, the selfie. Can I give you a definition of selfie? I got a phone up here. You know, one day I had this phone up here and, and mom called me from her house while I was preaching. So I don't bring the phone to the platform anymore, but today I want to bring it because I want to take a picture of all y'all. Wave at me. Come on, wave at me. All right, there you go. Boom. No, no, I'm not taking y'all's side yet. Don't wave yet. <laughs> wave at me. There you go. Boom. All right. Now I'm going to turn this baby around and now I got me. Here's what a selfie is. A selfie is this self-portrait, a picture of yourself taken with a handheld device, usually in a tilted manner. Word of the year. I got to have a picture of me. It's the ultimate. Look at me. Hey, the other day I was driving to the church after school had taken up. I, I, I came a little later because I don't like to get caught in the school traffic. And we live in a division, uh, a subdivision that you can get caught in the school traffic. So the school traffic was already finished. And, but the buses hadn't run yet. This was funny. And I saw, I saw a selfie being made in the most obscure place. A girl was waiting on the bus. On the bus. And she was on the curb doing this. I slowed down. I slowed down. I saw it from a distance. I just slowed down. I crept up to her. And she was going. And I said, wow, a bus stop for school. She's taking, she probably took 30 between when I saw her and when I got to where she was. Here's the deal that you got to understand, though. This is interesting. We assume selfies were taken by mostly young people. No. 25% of them were taken by people 45 years and older. Like your grandma taking a selfie or something. <laughs> What's up, Granny? And I had two people in the first service today sent me, said, we're in that 45 and over club, and they sent me a picture, a selfie. I want to tell you, millions are posting them every day because people want to let people see them. I was on a plane one day and a girl took, I counted, I stopped counting at 80. I stopped counting at 80. She was sitting right across and I said, you got a good pick yet? And she said, no, not yet. It just doesn't look right yet. I said, honey, you've had a lot of chances. And I think I said, I think this was a girl, I said, won't you take one of me and then anything you got on there will look good, okay? 
But, but we, we, it's a sign of our culture. It's selfish ambition, vain conceit, living for yourself, to impress, and all that kind of stuff. University, of, uh, University in California did a, did a research not long ago, and they, they, they had six cultural trends that are on the rise, and they found these in social media. And I'm going to put them on the, on, the, on the board here. I'm going to put them on the screen. The first one is that we have a preoccupation with self. And that's a fact. You can say amen to that. Amen. I, didn't, I didn't do this study. They did it. I'm just, I'm just the voice. Number two, we live a life that rules don't, don't apply to me. Don't make, don't make me follow the rules. And we have an inability, number three, to take criticism. I don't care what you have to say about it. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to receive correction. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And number four, we have a refusal to take responsibility. Winston Churchill said, the price of greatness is responsibility. Somewhere you've got to take responsibility for your own doings. You can't blame everybody else for the rest of your life. I need somebody to help me preach right now. You're going to have to take responsibility and stand up and say, I am my problem. And number five, we have unilateral listening, which is listening only to respond. In other words, while somebody's talking to you, you're listening so you just get enough ammunition to say what you want to say when they get through talking what they want to talk. And number six, I, don't know, I didn't know that that was wrong until right then, actually. We have people that actually are, are so immoral in their living and so unconscious about how they live that they do anything they feel is right. And then they say, you know, when I'm in trouble, I didn't even know that was wrong until then. They found in the study that ultimately we're quicker to anger than we've ever been in America. Can somebody say amen to that? That our quickness to anger is because of our focus on ourselves. And this is what they concluded. It's harsh, but it's true. They concluded that we're a nation of narcissists. Now, I'm not saying this is a church of that. I'm saying we're a nation of that. So why do I need to feel the need to come in here and say we don't need to live on a happiness find we don't need to be out trying to find happiness in our life. We need to get a hold of a Jesus Christ and find some real joy in our life. Because the joy that comes out of us is greater than any happiness around us. And we can live in any situation, any circumstance with the joy of the Lord. Come on, clap your hands and say amen to that. It's kind of heavy. I want to say this now. We end up in these cultural trends, not because we're bad people. And I'm not just saying that to try to make you feel good. We end up because it's natural. That's the natural feel. It's just natural. It's natural for me and you to focus on ourselves. It's to focus on taking care of ourselves and getting ahead. That's natural. But I want you to look at me right now. God doesn't want you living a natural life. He wants you to live a more abundant life. He wants you to live above and beyond the natural of this world. He said, I didn't come into this world for anything less than that you to have life and that more abundantly. And I still declare, I still declare, it's not things that's going to make us happy. It's the joy of the Lord that's going to make us content in our life. And there's a, there's a, there's a power in the joy of the Lord that hell cannot curtail and turn around. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. There's a life principle. Don't live like the world. There's something more for you here than there is out there. Here's how you get it. Philippians 2 and 5. I'm going to read it. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Watch this. Who being in the very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. The God, the Word made flesh that breathed the stars, 
said, let there be the voice humbled himself. He came into this world. His very nature was a servant. Now, here's what I want to say. He didn't come and say, look at me. He didn't come and say, look at this. He said, everything I do, it's the Father that dwelleth in me that doeth the works. He always, he always conceded to something greater in his life. And, and, and I think one of the greatest things that we can learn in life is that Christ had a servant's attitude. He had a heart that was following after Almighty God. And there's something to be said about that. The Bible said because he had that servant's attitude in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah, he came. He lived here. He humbled himself. It's hard to imagine that God would do that, but he did it. And because he did it, God exalted him. I'm here to declare that if we get a hold of a servant's concept in life, we don't have to worry about tooting our own horn or finding our own stage. God will exalt us to a place. He'll exalt this church to a place. He'll bring us to a level that people will say, what in the name of God do they have a hold of? It's the joy of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So there's a few things I just want to talk to you about. Number one, you need to develop a servant's heart. You just got to get there. You got to consider others better than yourself. He just didn't make life about him. He humbled himself even to the death of the cross. In Mark 14 in the garden, this is what he prayed. Not my will, but your will. That's a prayer that all of us need to pray. Not mine, but yours. I know this is not easy preaching. This is not easy because we want to have this, this kind of joy. But joy is really a mature thing. We've got to surrender ourselves to his will and to his word and to his way. Not to a pastor, but to him. Who I feel this today. I'm here, he's saying. I'm here. And I want to give you real Jesus joy. But if that's going to happen, Hebrews said, you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. In other words, you've got to get his attitude, how he lived. You want to have joy in life? Look at Jesus. He was the author. He's the perfecter. He lived life the best possible way. How is it? He said, who for the joy set before him, watch this, endured the cross. I think a lot of times we have a lot of concepts of how and why Jesus went to Calvary. You know, I know it was, it was in, the, in the Father's will to, to go for him to go. He was the Son of God that came in the flesh. And we know that. But when you think about it, when you think about this, you got, you got to get a, it, it got a hold of me the other day. It just grabbed me the other day. It wasn't a government that put him on the cross. It wasn't nails that held him there. You know what he saw? For joy. For joy. For joy. He saw you and me on the other side of that cross. He saw us. And because he saw us, he said, I'll go to that cross. I'll give myself a ransom so that they won't have to do what I had to do to get where they need to get. And here's what I want to tell you. If that Jesus will go to a cross for me because of the joy that he saw in me preaching to you today, does somebody here want to get a hold of that Savior and say, fill me with that joy? 
I need it. I need the joy of the Lord. I need the joy of the Lord. Paul said he's the author. He's a finisher. So let me conclude today. Let me make it practical for you right now. So how do I do it, Pastor? How do I do it? Here's, here's what I want you to write down. There's three little things I want you to write down. The first step into a servant's heart, you've got to go all in with God. Everybody say all in. We've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it. We've heard it with football teams, we've heard it with basketball teams. We're all in. You've got to go all in. But it's you and Jesus. It's you and Him. So I want to ask you a question. Have you gone all in? Have you gone all in? You know, some people say, well, 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 well God, you know, I'm a busy person. I've got, I'm high maintenance. <laughs> and I've got a lot of stuff to do, and I've got a lot of things to do. And when I get through with my day, a lot of times I'm so tired I don't have time to have conversation with you. Well, why don't you do it before you do all your high maintenance stuff, have a conversation with a servant and find out what he wants in your life that day. It'll make your life go a lot better. I remember it was such a, a neat thing when I, when, I, when I felt this call to preach. I, <laughs> I went to my pastor. Man, he was a beast. He was a beast. He was a preaching machine. I'd rather hear him preach than eat when I was hungry. And I, I could see myself being him, although he had hair and I didn't. And he was handsome and I wasn't. And he had a beautiful wife and I wasn't even married. And, 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 it, and I'd go to him and I was always intimidated to go to him. And I, I'd say, sir, I, I believe I, I might have a call on my life. And the first time I ever told him that, he wadded up paper and threw it on the floor and said, pick up that paper. That's all you'll do when your pastor's be picking up trash. Just pick it up. Then I'd go back to him a little bit later after I picked up the trash. He said, I'll tell you what I want you to do every Sunday. I want you to have the porch looking sharp. I want you to have the bathrooms looking sharp. I want you to pick up all the trash in church that the cleaning people don't get. I want you to take care of all this. When I do all of that, I say, can I preach now? No. He said, go down on the street corner and practice. Because I don't want you to embarrass me and I don't want to be embarrassed of you because you have nothing to say right now. That hurt. And if I was looking to impress or looking for the applause, I didn't get any. But summer came and my home was in West Texas and there had been a tornado in Lubbock. And I, I went home just to work because I wanted to go to, I wanted to, go to seminary the next, the next fall. I want to make some money to go. and I want, to, I want you to show you what God does. I want to show you. When you go all in. So I go out there and I start picking up trash and I, I get on these, these job hires and I'm a college kid and they put me here and put me there. And one day they put me with a, a, a guy that was a, a sheetrocker and a roofer. He did both of them and, and I, I started carrying them. I didn't know how to roof, but I knew how to, I knew how to lift. And I carried shingles to the top of the roof and I helped bring sheetrock in and put on a lot of weight that summer, but it was good weight. It wasn't bluebell weight. It was good weight. And I, I, I was I was cut. You know what I'm saying? I was cut. <laughs> and and about four weeks in, this guy said, Son, do you feel the call to preach? And I said, Yes, sir. He said, You want to come exercise that at our church? I said, You're a pastor? Yes, sir, I'm a pastor. Where do you pastor? Level Land. What church? And he told me the church. I said, That's the church I was raised. He said, Come on. He'll be glad to see you. And I went and preached my first sermon. It was horrible. It was horrible. It was horrible. I went and ducked. I wanted to go hide. 
I wanted somebody to open up a, a manhole here. Let me just disappear. It was horrible. And sometimes I duplicate that even now. But I went back to work. Nobody called and asked for revival because I preached at Leveland one Sunday night. And about four weeks later, a man walked up to me and said, I've been watching your work ethic, son. And he said, uh, what do you want to do in the fall? I said, sir, I, I, I'm thinking about going to seminary, going to Bible college. He said, you got any money? I said, not a lot. No, sir, I don't. <clears throat> My parents didn't have a lot. He said, I'm going to pay your whole tuition. That happened. That man lives in this town right now. He lives in this town, and he's still my buddy. And he's so proud because he paid my tuition to go to Bible school. <laughs> and all of a sudden, here I was just serving people, and up popped a preacher. Here's what I want to declare to you. When you go all in with God, it ain't about you. It's not about what you want to do. It's about what he wants you to do in your life. And when he exalts you, when he lifts you up, you'll be lifted. Come on, it's time to go all in. It's time to go all in. It's time to go all in in your life. I want to I do something for God. Well, go all in. Surrender yourself to him and say, this is what I want. The second thing you have to do is you've got to take a genuine interest in others. And I know that this is about relationship, and some people don't like relationship, but you're going to have to develop relationships. You've got to take a genuine interest. Paul said, I'm going to send Timothy because he has a genuine interest in your welfare. I love that. For everyone looks out for their own interests. Those are joy killers, not the interests of Jesus Christ. Genuine means having the values claimed. Actions are the same as words we speak. In other words, when we say that we love, we need to show that love. When we say that we care, we need to show that care. When we say we're apart, we need to be apart. Don't speak it and not do it. Because your actions speak so much louder. Mother Teresa said, spread love everywhere you go. First of all, in your own house. Now, the three places I think that we need to spread love. Number one is in our family. Number two is in our church. And number two is with our passion and our pastime, which is our world. We need to spread the love of God. And there's a lot of people that want to be soul winners, but they can't get their house in order. You've got you to love at home before you ever love anyplace else. If I, uh, oh, I'm preaching right now. You got to love at home. You got, you got to take care of business. If, 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 if I was a pastor and I didn't love my wife and my wife and I had scream fights all the time and I came in here and tried to tell you folks how to love people, it wouldn't have any ring at all. I've got to take care of my family. And I'm talking to all men right now. Take care of your family. Love your wife. Love your kids. Talk to God until you fall in love with the people that God's put in your life. And when you fall in love with your family, God will let you fall in love with people in the church. And when you fall in love with people in the church, he'll give you a witness to bring people to the kingdom of God. Because you have to understand that you've got to take a genuine interest in your own first. And then God will open up the pastures for you to go as far as you want to go. Is that making sense? This is called maturity. This is called maturity because there's so many people. There's so many people that try to do everything so big and they're nothing but a voice. There's no substance. There's nobody there. There's no one there. It's just a voice. I, I love my family. I want you to know that. And I tell my family every Sunday night, by the way, my wife cooks for them every Sunday night. You know who buys the meal, don't you? There you go. But we love our kids. And every Sunday night, I bless my children this way. 
I say, kids, there may be a day when churches do not want me to preach to them anymore. There may be a day when the world don't care for me coming into their kingdom. There may be a day when people will turn their back on me. But I will always have my family. I'll always have you. And I want you to know that I love you very, very much. And because God has established family in our life, We've established a church in Austin, Texas, and I promise you before it's over, we're going to have people coming from Austin from everywhere to find the Jesus that we preach in this house. Somebody help me preach right now. And I close, Randy, if you'll help me. Thank you so much. I've gone too long. I'm, I'm over my time. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. No, I'm not sorry. You know what the iron rule is, don't you? It's do unto others before they do you. The silver rule is do unto others as they do to you. The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do to you. And the titanium rule is do unto others as Jesus has done to you. Amen. He loves you. You need to love. I close with this little phrase here. You need to live a life of intentional relationships. The woman I introduced a while ago was maybe one of the greatest I've ever seen in making intentional relationships. Grace. Monahan. I have a young man in the church that has moved here from out of state and I, I've never seen anybody so intentional in making relationships if you're a child of God and you have the Lord in your life one of the greatest ways to serve that Lord is to make intentional relationships with people become a friend to people that need a friend become a person to somebody that they say you know what that person likes me I love little kids in this church. They come in here and they grab my knees and they look up and say, I'm here. And I love to hug them, rub their head, kiss the little girls on the head, hug the little boys, hug them up tight. I love you kids. But I want that kid to know that when I point at him, he's my buddy, she's my friend. I want those kids to grow up knowing that a pastor cares. And we need people that are intentional in their relationships with everybody they meet because people out there don't have the friends that we have in here. And there's people that are so lonesome for the Jesus that you know in your life. And I'm not trying to make you feel emotional. I'm emotional. Because I won a boy to the Lord one time years ago. I walked past him in a store. We worked together. And I said, you want to go to church with me? You have a church? He said, no. He said, you want to go to church? He said, yeah, I'd love to go to church with you. Will you be my friend? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we became buddies. He wasn't my type. He didn't like ball. He wasn't a man's man. But he came and found Jesus. Lived for God and married the church organist. He did pretty good. She was pretty. She could play. And he died before he was 30. Somebody said at the funeral, the preacher said, he always wanted a friend. Let me tell you something. There's people that need a friend. And Jesus was a friend to sinners. He was a friend to people who were outcast. He was a friend. He was a friend to people that didn't know any better. He would go home with sinners. He would eat with them. Yeah, because the world needs the joy that this church possesses. I want to ask you to stand. You're awesome people, and I love talking to you and challenging you today. 
Everybody say, I want to go all in, Pastor. I want to go all in. I want to go all in. I want to do everything that I need to do for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to take a genuine interest in others. Say it, I want to take a genuine interest. And I want to be intentional about my relationships. And if you'll humble yourself at the feet of God, God will exalt you. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Father, I love you today. I've preached too long and I've held too long and it's going to set back our third service and I'm so sorry. But Lord, I thank you because you came and found me intentionally. You made of yourself no reputation. When I found you, it was because you found me. And you were just a meek and lowly Savior. You didn't ask me to join some big deal. You just said, let me walk with you and let me be your God. Let me be your Savior. And when I signed up, I realized that it was bigger than I could ever imagine. I was looking for a friend and you gave me the kingdom. I was looking for a friend and you gave me heaven. I was looking for somebody to care about me and you gave me eternal life. I honor you, Lord. I honor you, Lord. Nobody like you. Bless this beautiful audience. I thank you for them today and I wish I had time to pray over them individually. But I bless them in the name of the Lord right now. May the joy of the Lord be their strength in their lives this whole week. May they know you. Let us get away from ourselves and get ourselves plugged into you to learn your way and your manners. Bring us back Wednesday night for another lesson in the domino effect. And next Sunday we'll be studying joy again. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen. Turn to your neighbor now and look at him real good and say, You're better than I am. I, I, I lift you higher than I am myself. Come on, that's how you do it. I love you. Have a great day. Have a great day.